This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Le Banks, St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Sandy speech my sermon. She didn't know what I was preaching on, uh, and you're going to see how amazing that's connected. If you turn to Revelation two, she didn't know I was preaching on. Uh, again, it, it, it almost seems so absolutely amazing that it's almost like we've kind of planned it together. But I can honestly, you just have to, you're just going to have to believe me that we did. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, a uh, Revelation chapter two. Uh, so, so she's almost stole my sermon. So I'm just going to really kind of. Almost reiterate what she's just said, basically. Uh, Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have laboured for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works, do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from the place, unless you repent. But this that you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amazing. So here's this, uh, John, as as you know, is on the island of Patmos. Actually reminds me, we used to have a lady in in our first church in Lancashire. Her name was Pat Moss. Uh, we always used to send a letter, you know, to Pat Moss, and that was the name, Pat Moss. Uh, anyway, he's on the island of Pat Moss. He has a revelation of Jesus. Now, John's writing to seven churches in Asia. Uh, all kinds of ideas or people have about this. Some people think it was seven churches that actually, actually are, reflect seven churches throughout the ages. I kind of don't think that, but that's what some theologians think. I think these were seven literal churches, and often they represent Christians of all ages, of all times, as we can see. I think they've all got characteristics of all churches, of all times, of all ages. So here's these seven churches that John writes to, seven churches, seven real churches in Asia. I like to describe these as Jesus' love letters, because in a sense they are. They are the love letters of Jesus. Now, even though correction comes that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love us is that right the Bible says that those whom he loves he what he corrects how many have ever been corrected by Jesus I've got a couple of hands I've put up Uh, that's part of love if you've got children part of love is correction that's part of loving that's part of 
demonstrate in love is correction. So Jesus corrects, he brings correction. And here's the thing, he says, I know your deeds. And I kind of like that thought, that, that he knows every little thing about us. Nothing ever goes unnoticed by Jesus. Can you say amen? You know, the Bible says, even if we were to give a cup of water in his name, every deed, everything we do is noticed by Jesus. And so we see these amazing, when you look at it, the amazing commendations that Jesus gives to this church. I like the thought that Jesus doesn't first of all hit them where, they're, where the wrong thing is. He first of all commends them and builds them up. That's a good way to respond. You know, the, if you ever kind of, you want to speak a, a bit of a, a correction in someone's life, the worst thing you can do is hit it straight away. Sometimes you need to encourage and build. You know, the truth is... Sometimes, unless you can encourage and build, then correction is very hard to receive. So that, that comes like he, he brings this correction, he brings this commendation, he commends them for amazing things. He says, you work very hard, you laboured hard. And the word there in the Greek actually means to bulge at your neck. And if you've ever been strained to do something and you're so struggling, so, and you know, you're bulging at your neck because you've put so much effort, so much you know, strength into it. And he says, you put so much effort, so much you know, so much energy into the work that it's almost this picture you're straining at the neck. You put so you you work hard. You work very hard. You spread the gospel. You minister to people. You pray. You do amazing things. You work very very hard. You have patience to endure. That word patience there means you have endurance. You know, Ephesus wasn't an easy place for a Christian to be. Ephesus really had the, what, the, what I suppose historians say was the Temple of Diana. It was, a, it was almost one of the central places of idolatry. That Temple of Diana was so massive, it was so big, it was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the known world then. It was so huge, so big. And so Ephesus was actually a center of idolatry. There's incredible opposition to Christianity in Ephesus, as Paul discovered when he was there. And so there was this, even though there was opposition, even though there was all kinds of challenging situations, the Bible, they, this church in Ephesus had incredible patience, endurance in difficult, challenging, overwhelming situations, that incredible patience to stand against the idolatry, to stand against all the evil that was going on in that society of the day. The interesting thing is, you know, it's one of the only church, in the unchurched, that four letters were written to Ephesus. How many realize that? You've got Paul's letter to Ephesians, one and two Timothy, basically Timothy was in Ephesus, then we got this fourth letter right there in the Revelation, so he had four letters. The Apostle Paul spent longer in Ephesus than anywhere else, four years he was in Ephesus. Can you imagine, you've got the Apostle Paul as your leader, as your pastor for four years, how many of you think that's pretty impressive? Timothy as well was there. We know the Apostle John was there. So they had incredible input of incredible men of God who were there. Had incredible input. It was a center of incredible revival. So here's this church. Also speaks how they, how they sort of would not tolerate evil doers. Evil workers were told. They wouldn't tolerate them. They didn't tolerate certain things. I think when God's working in us, there's certain things that we don't tolerate. 
certain things that we hate. In fact, if you go a bit further on in Revelation, he says, we hate the work. He says that you've hated the work of the Nicolaitans. I think often that part of love actually means there's certain things that we hate. It's just the way it happens. When you, when you love God, you begin to love the things he loves and hate the things that he hates. And I think there's certain things we should hate. We should hate the slave trade. Is that right? We should hate injustice. There's certain things which should get a hold of us and stir us and get us mad and really get us going. And we are told the certain things that they hated. Now notice this. He didn't hate the people. He hated their actions. He hated the work they did. He didn't hate them as people. He hated their practices. Now what were the practices of the Nicolaitans? Because there's all kinds of ideas. But studying it, one of the things that I kind of recognise it was, this is what they believed. They believed the body was so evil and the spirit was always saved, but the body was evil. And so the, because the body was evil, that meant you could do what you like with your body. Just do what you like. It doesn't matter. You're saved anyway, but it doesn't matter what you do. And so because of this practice of the Nicolaitans, there's incredible spiritual, sorry, incredible sexual immorality because it didn't matter because their body was evil anyway. So what does it matter? Let's do what we want. Let's, you know, God loves us. There's grace. Let's, let's do what we want. Don't kind of see things don't change. Is that right? And so God, Jesus says, I hate that kind of spirit. I hate that attitude. I hate that work and what it produces. And I commend you that you also hate that work. So get a hold of me. It's not the people. It's the actions. It's what the work does. Why does Jesus hate certain things? Because certain things destroy people's lives. Jesus hates anything that, if you like, destroys and maims and and ruins people's lives. And this practice, when people began to get caught up with this theology, with this philosophy, with this idea, people's lives were going to be destroyed because of it. Marriages were going to be broken. People's lives were going to be ruined. Jesus hates things that destroys and ruins people's lives. And he commends this church because they also have that same attitude. Can you say amen? They've learned to love what he loves and hates what he hates. Isn't that awesome? I just love that. We love the people. But it's the actions, it's the damage, it's the destruction that some of these things do. Now you think about, you think about this, and I get a hold of this. Here is a church in terms of works, are like a juggernaut of, 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 of works. A juggernaut. They are, um, and they are an amazing, incredible church. They have incredible works, we're told. They don't tolerate. They, they, they discern and recognize false teachings. They don't pull up with charlatans, if I use that word. They recognize, they see through it. They, they, there's discernment there. That, that, that they hate certain things or certain works. How many of you think that's an amazing church? Put your hand on it. That, that, that is awesome. My, my, that, is, that is a mega. That is awesome church. But Jesus says, in spite of all that amazing things, and I commend you for it. Listen, he, he commends them for it. He says, you've got, you've got great doctrine, and I commend you for your great doctrine. You know, this is not, God commends us for good doctrine. He says, I commend you for your works. I commend you for all that stuff. That's good. That's awesome. That's amazing. But there's still one thing I found. 
that, that I'm against you. There's one thing I've noticed. It says, even though you've got great doctrine, even though you've got great works, says, I've still got one thing I've noticed about you. I've noticed that your heart has been growing cold. That's the one thing I've noticed about you. That your heart is slowly beginning to get cold. Have you been to a doctor? And usually he says, the first thing he says to you is pull your tongue out. Why do they do that? But they do. Pull your tongue out. Sometimes they can recognize that all kinds of things can be wrong with your body just by looking at your tongue. And Jesus says, there's certain things I've noticed. I see through all that you're doing. But you've lost your first love. Isn't that awesome? And I think about this. This is such a challenge. I find a challenge to myself. I can preach sermons. I'm not going to say great sermons. I can preach sermons. I can do all kinds of works. We involve in all kinds of ministering to people and praying for people, all that kind of stuff. And yet, still be drifting away from Jesus. And that is true of every one of us. We can do all kinds of certain things, yet still our hearts can drift away from Jesus. He says, you don't love me as you first loved me. Let me show you a verse because it's, it's often a, a theme throughout the Bible. And I, I just love this verse in Jeremiah Jeremiah 2, and here's again the cry of, of, of God for the people of Israel. And he reminds them of a similar thing. In Jeremiah 2, verse 2. So I remember, I remember you, the kindness of your love, the love, sorry, verse 2, Jeremiah 2, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown, and so forth and so forth and so forth. But he says, now you've, you've moved away from that betrothal love that you once knew. See, one thing about love, this is one thing about love, that when you love someone very passionately, you always want that person to love you back. So it's good to see Karis and she's going little baby, that little baby there. And one thing that kind of strikes me, she just grabs your hand. He grabs your hand. I'm daughter, I keep getting to it. He, he grabs your hand. Levi grabs, you know, Levi, you thought I forgot the name, didn't you? <laughs> but Levi grabs the hand so strongly. I'll be telling a lot of granddad stories over the next few weeks and months. But the point is, is, there's something when you see a baby, something when you see that, is that it's not so much what that child or what that baby can do for you. What you want above all else is you want that child, you want that baby to love you back. Because when you really love something passionately, you want that love to be returned. And that's what Jesus is saying. So I love you and I want you to love me. Okay, very quickly. What is first love? I think first love is passionate love. It's a love that means that Jesus is always on your mind. See, when you love someone, they're always on your mind. Is that right? I remember when we, me and Andrew were dating. I used to write letters. I, mean, I must be the world's worst ever letter writer. 
I'm so glad for texts. I'm glad texts. You know, we didn't have texts in those days. We didn't have emails. Remember that, people? We didn't have emails. We couldn't send texts. We had to send letters. I don't know how Angie read my writing, I do not know. But nevertheless, I, I read letters. I, I sent a lot of letters. Even though I'm not a letter writer, I sent letters because in a sense, she was always on my mind. And when you really love Jesus with first love, he's always on your mind. I think it's a love that the slightest promptings and you want to obey him. It's a love that's pure, without taint of worldly attractions. It's a tender sensitive love. You're aware that you don't want to grieve the heart of Jesus because you love him and you don't want to grieve him. I think it's a sacrificial love. That's what love, first love, is sacrificial. Now, here's the point about sacrificial love. You don't see to sacrifice. Getting back to my, to, to me and Angie's dating time. She used to live in Yeovil and I lived in Birmingham. And in those days, I, was, I didn't have a car, so we travelled on the train. That was a long way to go, believe it or not, from Yeovil. I always remember there was a train from, from, I think, Paddington, it was somewhere, to well, London, Victoria, to Yeovil. In fact, I remember Bob Miles saying to me about that train. He said, you know that train? He says, it's like a, it's like a Yorkshire Terrier with a, wet, with, with, a, with a weak bladder. Cause he used to stop every single minute. And it, was, it took two hours to get there. But you know what? The amazing thing was, I didn't see it as a sacrifice. It didn't even cross my mind. And when you really love someone, when you do things with love, it's not really, you don't see it as a sacrifice. I've seen people do amazing things, you know, do amazing things for God. But I guarantee they never ever saw it as a sacrifice. Because love never really sees things done as a sacrifice. You just do it because you love someone. No matter what the cost, what it is. And so love, although we don't see it as a sacrifice, becomes sacrificial. I think the love for Jesus is full of joy. I think when you really love him, it's not, it's not heavy or, 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 or legalistic. It's, it's, it's joyful. It's full of faith. Love produces trust. It produces hope. Those are all the expressions of first love. Passionate. Absolutely passionate. And zealous. And, and, and full of joy. And that's first love. And Jesus points out that the church of Ephesus had left it. Because when spiritual, when love for Jesus diminishes, our spiritual lives diminish. Let me give you a few symptoms of, of, of how do you know when you've lost first love? Just a few symptoms. Here's the first thing. Spiritual apathy. I think spiritual apathy is when we have a lack of interest towards the things of God. And you touched on earlier. It's a, it's a hardened, extinguished emotions. It's, it's passiveness. It's lack of interest. I think we would call it kind of, I suppose you, there's just no interest in, in, in spiritual things anymore. You've got no real, real interest it's in the things of God. There's no real interest there. You've got to kind of make it happen. There's no real interest. And here's the point that when we lose that passionate love for him, we end up living a routine Christianity. It's like routine. We go through the routine of things. It's, it's, it becomes routine. Because we've lost the passionate love, it becomes routine Christianity. Or I can describe it this way, that 
It means when it becomes routine and we lose passionate love, we become vulnerable to the flesh. The flesh starts to rise up. Things like criticism and all those things, they just, they just rise up in us because only love subdues the passions of the flesh. Paul says if you walk in the spirit, then you won't follow the passions of the flesh. So when you really feel with passionate love, the things of the flesh tend not to rise up quite so easily. But when passionate love is lost, flesh begins to kind of rule and reign and begins to have control over us. Uh, here's the second thing. Our hunger diminishes. When we experience first love, we've got a greater hunger and a greater longing for more of his presence and his word. I think when first love is left, our hunger begins to diminish. We no longer hunger for his presence and we no longer hunger for his word. It's like a diminishing there. A lack of desire begins to kind of come in. That hunger. Do you remember when, I think during the mid-90s, about 95, I think it was, 95, in the mid-90s, there was an incredible refreshing. People called it uh, a refreshing. And I know many of us were touched by that, this refreshing move of God. And, and there was an incredible release of joy. And, and the amazing thing was, people almost, the words that people would say is, it's almost like I fell in love with Jesus again. Remember, have you heard that term? And one of the results of that, one of the prayers that came out of that movement, if you remember, it was more, more, Lord, more. Remember that? More, more. Because the more people fell in love with Jesus, the more they wanted. It kind of stirred up a desire. It stirred up a thirst. It stirred up a hunger. So all that you had, as amazing as it was, you wanted more of it. You just had to have more. And often the issue is when love diminishes, we no longer lose the desire for more. We find ourselves feeling, I think as Mary prayed, it was a great prayer, we kind of find ourselves feeling comfortable in what we have. But passionate love almost stirs up a more, more that you want. Here's the next thing about losing first love. We become insensitive to sin. We become numb to sin, we become, and we begin to compromise principles. In other words, the things that used to use, years ago used to really make us feel bad and we used to feel convicted about it almost no longer seem to bother us or no longer seem to affect us. No longer seem to have the same sense that we, that we used to have. I love what it says in Isaiah. It says that when, when the enemy comes in as a flood, then God will raise up a standard. It's almost in the midst of the enemy coming in, as we see today, that as God begins to stir up passionate love in people, a new standard arises. We stand out. There's a new standing out as passionate love grips our heart. I think when we lose passionate love, when we lose first love, one of the things that tends to happen is we lose the fear of the Lord. How many... Bible says the church grew because of the fear of the Lord. There's an awareness, a fear, a holy fear, not a kind of fear of God, but an awesomeness, an awareness of how great and how awesome he was. And passionate love, I think, stirs up that kind of that fear of the Lord. Next thing is we become insensitive and we lose compassion of the needs of others. We no longer feel compassion. We no longer feel love in our hearts, the needs around us. We feel indifferent to people. 
when we see them in need, when we see, see what they're going through, it come out, doesn't seem to bother us or affect us. It seems to wash over us. Passionate love always stirs up passion and love for others. The next thing is that we, we become insensitive to God's presence. It's almost this picture that God's moving on people and people are crying and being moved and touched by God. But as if it doesn't seem to impact you. Our minds are somewhere else. And almost this sense, please let this moment end as quick as I can. You know what I mean? I feel uncomfortable. I feel disturbed by this. Please let this end. Oh, if this could finish now, I'd be more than grateful. Because we've lost that sensitivity of his presence. Now, all to me, these signs indicate that we can, we've lost our first love. Now, remember this. It doesn't happen just like that or immediately. Often this is a process. It's, it's something that is step by step and it happens before we've even known it. But all these signs are warnings of something. It's like, a, it's a, ever had your car and you kind of run an empty and suddenly there's a light comes on? And that's what these are. The warning signs on your spiritual dashboard. I'm running on empty. I need to get back to first love. Can me see that? Now let me give you some causes of first love. What are the causes? How, what happens? How, what causes us to lose our first love? I think here's the first thing. I think we're not received from God. We, we, we lose the ability because we only can give what we receive. Is that right? So if I'm not receiving, I'm unable to give. And so I need to be in a place where I learn. I think one of the things is barriers and wars come in and we, we're not really receiving from God. We're not receiving his love. We're not receiving freshing fillings of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're not receiving things from him. And because we're not receiving, then our hearts can so easily get cold. I think we've got to constantly have fresh encounters and fresh touches from Jesus to cause our hearts to be soft and cause our hearts to embrace him. So I think one of the things is that we, we kind of, we, we, we don't receive from him. We've lost the ability to receive from him. I think the next thing is the, the cares of the world. Anxieties come in. Worries come in. All kinds of stresses come in. And we begin to be so caught up with the cares and the worries and the anxieties and the stresses, we begin to lose our focus. We begin to take our eyes off Jesus and we begin to be so focused and so caught up with the worries, the concerns, the pressures, that slowly but surely, the love begins to diminish. And that's what the enemy does. He comes in to bring these things against us. Next way we can lose first love is disobedience. That God begins to convict, God begins to speak about some area of our life. And we don't really deal with it, we don't confront it, we don't put it right. And because of that disobedience inside our hearts, slowly but surely, we lose love. Because love can only function, love can only work in the atmosphere of obedience. And the moment I begin to allow things inside me, areas of disobedience, and slowly but surely my love begins to grow cold. I think the other thing is lack of communion with God. We get so busy and so caught up, so busy, we, we don't really spend time with him. And if we don't spend any time with God, eventually we will dry up. That's how you maintain strong marriage. Is that right, Sin Laurie? The way you have 
marriages, strong marriages, is you've got to work. How many say you've got to work? How many realize that? You've got to learn to spend time together. You've got to cultivate it. It doesn't just happen. You've got to cultivate love. You've got to spend time together. You've got to work on it. You've got to cultivate it. In other words, if you don't spend time together, slowly but surely begin to drift apart. Is that right? And it's the same with Jesus. If we don't spend time with him, we slowly begin to drift away from him. And little by little, our hearts begin to grow cold. Here's the next thing, very quickly. Numbers 21, verse 14. I think discouragement, I think this is a massive thing. And I know this myself as a massive big thing that can really affect our love, our first love. Discouragement. This is what it says in Numbers 21, verse 4. When they journeyed from Mount Hall by the way of the Red Sea to go round the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged along the way. Notice the word, they became very, very discouraged. And it goes on to say later on that, uh, and so the people spoke against God and spoke against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt and let us die in the wilderness? That came out of the fact they became so discouraged in their heart. The actual Greek word for discouraged means to, it means to uh, lose heart, to lose courage, to lose strength, to, to have the ability to keep going. And there's so many things that can come against us that make us, that cause us to be disappointed. Get discouraged. Disappointments, hurts, pains, sorrows can cause us to be discouraged. And the moment you get discouraged, do you notice what happens to the people? Suddenly they see these miracles. And the moment discouragement gets into their hearts, they start to look at everything in a negative sort of way. Everything's negative. Everything's wrong. Everything's bad. Everything's awful. Because the, the, the discouragement begins to blind them. And the discouragement so overwhelms them, all they can see now is a total and complete negativity. And that's what discouragement does. It makes you see everything from, from a, a negative point of view. It makes us complain about everything. We, we lose our joy. We focus on the circumstances. If we allow discouragement to really get a grip of our hearts, the result will be that we'll lose our first love for Jesus. That's why there's a lot of warnings in the Bible. Let me just give you one scripture, Joshua 1, verse 9. Here's a situation. The children of Israel are about to go into promise, about to enter into all the amazing blessings and all the things that God's got for them. And this is what he told them in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, or, nor be dismayed, or don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Don't allow discouragement to get in. Don't become overwhelmed by the things you see, the challenges you see. Don't get discouraged. Keep seeking. In other words, keep encouraging yourself. Worship is a way of encouragement. Prayer, joy, changing our disappointments into opportunities are means and ways that we keep on top. Of discouragement. I think discouragement is one of the great weapons of the enemy to steal and to cause love to be down in our hearts. 
So here's the next thing. Go back to Revelation. What's the consequences of leaving, of leaving first love? And this is what we touched on earlier. It says in verse 5 of, ch- of chapter 2, it says, Remember therefore, it's thou remove the lampstand from its place. A few things about the lampstand. First of all, as we've mentioned, it's, it's a place of light. In other words, when we lose passionate love, first love for Jesus, our testimony begins not to be effective. Our testimony will cease to shine. See, when you have incredible passionate love for Jesus, you know what happens, and amazingly enough, I'll tell you what happens, there's an amazing influence there. You begin to influence people. People are drawn to passion. I remember Steve Irwin. Remember Steve Irwin? Remember how he, he's the one who did all the, all the, he used to love animals. Remember him? He was amazing. He used to put his head in, in, in crocodiles' mouths and fight, you know, and fight snakes and wrestle with boa constrictors. But the thing that, and I, I, I used to, I've watched some wildlife programs and a few films, that's great, but then you see enough of it. But I couldn't, I couldn't get away when he, because he did it with such passion. I've never seen a man put his head in a crocodile before with such passion. I've never seen anybody fight with a lion with such passion. He had such passion. And his passion was almost infectious. And that's what passion does. When you've really got passionate love for Jesus, when you've got first love, it becomes infectious. But when we lose our love for him, And even when we speak, even when we share, it seems to have so little effect. But when you love him, it seems to impact and touch and influence so many others. So often the testimony doesn't shine. I think it also means we lose our perceptive abilities. We no longer recognize what God is doing. I think when there's first love there, We begin to see God in everything. We're constantly discovering new things about God and his ways. Every time you read his word, something jumps out. There's a light that shone. Revelation flows into our hearts. But when we lose first love, we just don't perceive things. We don't see things. New things don't come to our hearts. I remember when when you travel. I remember when you, I mean, for example, you're kind of in a hotel. And that first night, you kind of get out. And I remember many times getting out and just walking into the wall. You know, middle of the night, I walk into the wall because I kind of think, where am I? You know, where was that door that used to be there? And you kind of lose sight where you are. And you lose perception of where you are because the light's not there. And when first love is gone, Jesus says that the, the light, the perception, isn't really working and moving. It also means when your lampstand's gone, it means... You lose that conscious sense of his presence. And we realize above all else, that's what we want is his presence. And love for him draws his presence. When you love him, you'll be so conscious, so aware of his presence living in your life. Let me close with this. How do we get first love back? Just a few quick This is what he says. He says, remember where you have where did you lose your first love what squeezed Jesus out 
What caused your eyes to be taken off him? I love that final verse of when I survey. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. It's almost, you say, Lord, I just, I'm stirred. I'm reminded of how much you love me. And so, Lord, I want to respond back in incredible love for you. What came in? What happened? Was there some disappointment? What happened? What came in that caused you to lose your affections for him? One of the great revivalists is a man called Duncan Campbell. Have you ever heard of Duncan Campbell? He was the catalyst of the, the, he was the man, he was the catalyst who brought revival to the Hebrides Islands. And many years, he was in this condition, he lost his first love. He was still preaching, he was still doing all kinds of Christian work, but he'd lost his first love. And he tells the story that one day he was in his study, and his daughter came into his study. He says, Daddy, she said to him, how come we don't see the things that you preach about? And he says, right there, his heart became so convicted. And he fell on his face before God. He says, God, if you're caused my love, if you're caused your love to burn in my heart again, if you cause that love to happen, I will go anywhere to bring revival. And he ended up in the Hebrides Islands. <laughs> but there's the point. He repented. He reminded, he, he, he reminded himself of where he once was and how he'd lost his first love. And that daughter's question pierced his heart. And so he, he knew he had to return back to first love. He went back to the way it really ought to be. Amen. That's the first love. It was where it ought to be. Very quickly, second thing is, he says, remember where you've, the height you've fallen. Repent. In other words, change your mind. Change your directions. Change your actions. Recognize you've lost first love and begin to make immediate radical changes. And he says, thirdly, do the works you did previously. Do the things that stir up love. Those things, those necessary changes that enable you to recover first love. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. Tread the paths of first love. Here's the thing I want to see as I close. This is really not about some heavy, hard thing. I think... Living a life of first love is the most exciting, exhilarating, joyful, adventurous life you can live. It's abundant life. I don't know a person who's living in first love who's miserable. Amen. It releases such an incredible sense of joy and satisfaction. Because first love is not some heavy, Tao thing. It's the most exciting, exuberant life you can live. Can you say amen? I close with this. He said this, and this is like a revelation that came. He says that if you do this, if you get back your first love, to him who overcomes, I'll enable him to eat secret manna. I'll I'll enable him to to eat that bread in paradise. I thought about that, and this is what came to me as I was thinking. 
Jesus once came to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Remember that? He asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Various Greek words express different levels of love. And he says, if you love me, feed my sheep. Remember that? In other words, when you love Jesus with passionate love, it enables you to feed and impact others. Isn't that right? And I thought, as I was thinking of that, I remembered. I'm going back 25 years ago when I was 15. So I remember 25 years ago, I was preaching in a church. In fact, Neil Hudson's church in Salford, who was in Salford, I remember preaching in that church. And he had a visitor there. Remember this? Rose, remember this. A visitor there from Guernsey. And this visitor from Guernsey must have felt so sorry for this poor pastor who was preaching to the church. He noticed he had holes in his shoes. Is that right, isn't it? I didn't know who that person was. I, I never knew who she was. All I knew was she was somebody from Guernsey. That's all I knew. It was only years later I kind of realized and found out who it was, and it was Rose. In other words, out of her love for Jesus, she fed a situation I was in. And I kind of found more and more that the more we love him, the more we're able to feed others. We're able to to move and touch others. So every time I I have love, it means I can begin to feed and impact and and touch others. That manner releases it. So how many say, Lord, as we heard earlier on, we want first love. Let's just come before him and let's just come before the Lord in these moments. And We've already made a response, I know. But maybe in these moments, just ask yourself, right in the depths of your heart, has love in any way diminished in me? Just kind of remind yourself of the, of the times when you were most passionate about Jesus. Because that's really ultimately what it's about. It's, about. it's loving Jesus. It's not... It's loving Jesus. That's really the, what we're talking of this morning. So remember those moments when you were most in love with him. And, and just compare yourself to those heights, if you like. The heights, because the Bible says it was the height. That was the height. They said, how far you fall? How far down from that? Because our love shouldn't be decreased. And our love should be increasing. We should love him now more than we've ever loved him before. It should be always increasing, always growing. And so, say today, Lord, if I some way, without even realizing it, without even recognizing it, has love diminished in my heart? Do I love him as I once used to love him? Has something come in and caused my love for him to grow cold? Have I lost it? Has it diminished? I tell you what, this morning, if something in you says, yeah, I can realize that, I think that's a healthy place to be. Sometimes the most, health, most unhealthy place to be is when it almost doesn't even bother you anymore or even affect you anymore. I think it's great. And I've read this and I've been so challenged myself and so stirred in my own heart, questioning my own heart. Do I really love you as I once used to love you? So I say, Lord, today, I want to love you with such a passion. I want to be so in love with you. Because everything else I do, if it doesn't come out of that love, is just totally useless. 
For all we have is works without love, then it means really nothing. But we want it all. We want love and we want the works and we want the, the sound doctrine, all those other things. But it has to be from passionate love in our hearts for him. So just put your hand on your heart right now in this moment to say, Lord, stir up the love inside my heart. I don't want to lose the sense of your presence. I want to know your presence in greater depths and greater ways. Stir up my heart with love and passion for you. Father God, we come to you and we thank you that you love us so much. Love us with a a passionate overwhelming, unconditional love. And Lord, we love you today because you first loved us. And Lord, we, there's a cry in our hearts today. It says, Lord, we don't want to lose first love. We don't want to allow it to diminish or distinguish. But Lord, we want that love to be stirred up. We want that love to, to grow and deepen. And Lord, stir up the fire of first love in our hearts, we pray. Stir up that love in us as never before we pray. Release first love in us, I pray. Oh Lord, we cry out to you. The God of passionate love. Stir up love in us hearts that we would love you with all our hearts, all our minds, with our soul, with all our beings. And we promise to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. Thank you for listening. To list, we download from Lancelot Union Church. For more download information, all the songs that please visit our website, lancelot.co.uk.